faces. It's hard preaching the headlights. Let's get our Bibles out this morning. We're in Micah chapter 6. Last week we were there and the word of the Lord spoke to us. And I believe Micah has more to say to our present situation as you turn there. Micah chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 8 this morning. We're going to focus in on the second instruction that comes out of verse 8. Last time we talked about doing justice. I hope that message pierced your heart and I hope it recalibrated some of the way we think and act. But Micah has more to say to us. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for an Old Testament prophet that speaks to our current situation And the reason that is, is because your word is alive and it's sharp and it cuts to the heart of every matter, every issue. It gives us truth. All scripture is applicable to us because it's your living, breathing word. And so, Father, as we read through Micah this morning and we listen to the instructions and we find out what it is that you require of us, I pray that our hearts would be pliable to make changes and and to admit where we need correction and to admit where we need to think and act and feel differently. Change us from the inside out, according to the power of your word in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Micah 6, 3 through 8. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery, and I set before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember how Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him, and said from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. What does the Lord require of man? Verse 6 begins to tell us, with all What shall we come to the Lord and bow myself before the Lord on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, And to walk humbly with your God. One more time, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah speaks to us. Many times we approach the Lord not knowing exactly what the Lord requires. And sometimes our heart is, Lord, what do you want from me? How can I please you? The last time we were in this text... God appealed to his people and he invited them to air their grievances against him. He asked them bluntly, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. God always wanted to have fellowship with his people. He didn't just want to have a relationship where he lorded over them, where he commanded them. He wanted servants, not slaves. He wanted fellowship, not robots. God was so good to the people of Israel, and he's been so good to us. And yet we, like them at times, get weary of serving the Lord. We, like them at times, get tired of running the race and fighting the good fight. And God asks us, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? He's been so good to us, and we should respond to him. See, the reason I think God's people get weary 
is because of this. Although God is good all the time, sometimes life is hard. Amen? God is good, but life is hard. And many times we see the hardness of life or the tribulations or the giants that we face or the mountains that we have to climb. And somehow we forget about the goodness of God and we think that the hardship is from God, the, the hardness and the, the trials and the disappointments and the tears. And we get angry at God and we get estranged from him. But the truth is he is the only one that is with us and for us at all times. Though life is hard, God is always good. And sometimes we forget that. The mature believer learns that the hardships of life and the ugliness of life should drive us closer to the Lord, not away from him. I pray that the things you endure, the things you suffer, the tears that you shed, the hardships that you endure, I pray that they drive you to God and not from him. Micah 6.8 tells us what is good. He says, I've told you, O man, what is good. This is what's good in the sight of God. He lists three things in verse 8 that the Lord requires of us. And we covered the first one uh, of the three last Sunday. And just to recap, the Lord tells us what is good, that we do justice. We talked about doing justice and the fact that not only is God a just God, but he is justice. Justice is a divine attribute of God. A divine attribute is something that's always true about God. God is just, and there is no injustice in him. So because God is just, his people must be just. Because God is just, his church must be just. Because God is just, those who name the name of the Lord must do justice. Micah 6, 8 tells us very simply to do justice. If you weren't here or you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to get online and get a way to get it in your spirit because it's a message that we all need to hear, especially in these times. The people of God need to do justice. The second thing he says here in the list of three is this. What's good? What does the Lord require of us? That we love mercy. Now, mercy is an interesting topic. I just preached through the Beatitudes not too long ago, and we talked about mercy, and we're going to talk about what Jesus said there. But this word mercy in the Hebrew is hesed, and it's translated kindness, goodness, and favor. Now, when you think about that definition, kindness, goodness, and favor, who wouldn't love mercy? Mercy is a beautiful thing. And like justice, mercy is a divine attribute of God. It's something that's always true about God. Even in his wrath, he shows mercy. Even in his fierce anger, he shows mercy. Do you realize the only reason we are still here drawing breath on the earth is because of the mercy of God? Chesed. Kindness, goodness, favor, God is mercy. Every one of us here today are here because we are a divine byproduct of God's great mercy and grace. Oh, where would we be without his mercy today? Lost in our sins. Where would we be without his amazing grace today? Stuck in the mire of sin, lost for eternity. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believe on him would not perish. He's given us the gift of salvation today, and that is a gift of mercy. God's mercy is displayed through us through his grace. I want you to see how this works here. Yes, we are the recipients of mercy, chesed, kindness, goodness, favor, but that mercy comes to us through his grace. 
So what's our definition of grace today? The simplest definition of grace is unmerited favor. That sounds lofty and it sounds smooth, but what does that mean? What is unmerited favor? What is grace? I'll tell you what grace is today. My sins are forgiven and forgotten, and I didn't earn it, and I didn't deserve it. It's grace. I'll tell you what grace is today. I've been given the free gift of eternal life, and I didn't earn it or deserve it. That's grace. I'll tell you what grace is today. I'm loved, I'm accepted, and I'm adopted by the Father. I'm a child of God. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I'm part of the body of Christ, and I didn't earn it or deserve it. That's grace. Grace means I'm blessed. My steps are ordered. Heaven is my eternal destination. My, my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, and I didn't earn it or deserve it. Grace means that everything good in my life is there because of God's mercy, and I have no other option but to love mercy and to extend mercy and to extend grace to others because it's where I stand is grace. What I stand in is mercy, and I did not earn it or deserve it. Grace, grace, unmerited favor, the mercy of God. Now, listen to me. If you can't get excited about that, if you can't get excited about the grace of God in your life, if you can't get excited about being forgiven of your sins and having heaven as your eternal destination, we need to get the Holy Ghost jumper cables out and do some resurrections this morning. Amen. His grace is awesome. Where would we be without his grace? Now, what does Micah tell us to do with grace? This is interesting. In the first point in Micah 6.8, he told us to do justice. But in the second point, he doesn't tell us to do something, but to love something. So there's a difference. He says, do justice. And then he doesn't say do mercy. He says, love mercy. Now, what's that all about? Because, listen, if we love something... It, if we love something, it's going to be a reoccurring theme in our life. Anything that we love is going to bubble out, out of us. It's going to come out of our mouth, and it's going to be a reoccurring theme in our lives. If we love Jesus, it's going to come out. Amen? If we love our spouse, it's going to come out. If we love our children, if we love the work that we do, if we love a team or a band or a sport or a hobby, it's going to come out in conversation, in our interactions with others. It's even going to come out in the most difficult moments of our lives. The truth is, it's not enough to do mercy we have got to love mercy so that mercy is what comes out of us when the pressure's on. That mercy is what comes out of us when things are stacked against us or even when things are going perfectly well. Let's be honest this morning. All of us love mercy when it's given to us. Can I get a horn or an amen? <laughs> amen. All of us love mercy when it's given to us. I mean, look at the definition of mercy. Kindness, goodness, and favor. That's a no-brainer. No one has ever extended kindness, goodness, and favor and is upset about it. I mean, you come home from work and your wife says, Honey, how was your day? It was terrible. Everybody was kind to me. Everybody showed goodness to me. And all I got was favor in traffic from my boss across the board. What a horrible day. <laughs> Everybody loves mercy when it's given to them. Kindness, goodness, and favor, chesed. Mercy is a beautiful thing. But Micah makes a point here in verse eight of chapter six, that we have to learn to love mercy just as much when it's given to others 
and when others need it from us. You see, it's one thing to love mercy when we're getting it. That's the easy part. But it's another thing to love mercy when it's given to others. It's another thing to love mercy when others need it from us. Isn't that where the rubber hits the road? When people need mercy from us, are we willing to extend it, even though we enjoy it as it's extended from God? Now, what does mercy look like? It looks like two things. Here's the first. Mercy looks like this. Being genuinely excited to see God's mercy extended to sinners. You and I should be thoroughly, genuinely excited when we see God extend his mercy in the form of grace to sinners and they become saints and are saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Come on, someone give me a horn or an amen. You and I need to be excited about mercy. Many times, you know, we suck up all the mercy for ourselves and we enjoy it, but then we're indifferent when others need it. And we think, well, you know, they're, they're this or they're that or they're bad people or they're too far gone or they're too sinful. But we should be excited, genuinely excited to see God extending mercy to the lost. You know, Jonah was a prophet who was sent to the Ninevites. And you know the story. When God sent him to Nineveh, he went the opposite way. And he was swallowed by a fish. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites. You say, well, why didn't he want to go? Because they were a wicked, violent, destructive people. And, and Jonah the prophet knew if he went to them and extended the mercy of God to them, they might accept it and they might be saved. Now think about this. The prophet of God didn't want to see these wicked people saved. He had rather see the destruction of God come upon them. See, that's not loving mercy. That's wanting judgment on the lost. Now, none of us want judgment on ourselves. Jonah didn't want judgment on himself, but he wanted judgment on the Ninevites, and he was thoroughly upset that God was going to extend them mercy because he knew they might accept it, they might repent, and God might bless them instead of judge them. You know what happened with Jonah. Jonah was mad. God swallowed him up. He spit him out on the shore. He did what he had to do, but then he stomped away mad again because the Ninevites did receive mercy and they did repent. So what did Jonah do? He sat under a gourd and then God sent a worm and the worm killed the gourd and then he went out of his gourd. He was so upset. Don't be like Jonah. Rejoice in mercy. Rejoice when God extends it. Rejoice when sinners come to repentance. Be like Jesus, that he would die on the cross if it was only for one, because he wanted to see sinners come to repentance. Being genuinely excited about God's grace extended to others is what mercy is. Number two, the second thing that mercy looks like is this. Being genuinely excited when we have an opportunity to extend mercy. Now, there again, this is where it gets personal. What that means is when we have an opportunity to extend mercy is that someone has hurt us. Someone's offended us. Someone has treated us badly. And now we have an option to try and get vengeance or pound of flesh, to be angry, to give it back to them, or to, like God, extend mercy. That's by grace, which is unmerited favor. Pastor, I would have been nice to them, but they didn't deserve it. <laughs> That's the point of grace. It's unmerited favor. None of us deserved it, yet God extended it. So what mercy looks like is when we are given the opportunity to extend mercy to others, we are genuinely excited by it. 
And I want to tell you something. This is mature Christianity. And, and we might not get there. Our emotions might get the best of us at first. But in the place of prayer, in the still quiet place with God, we need to learn to extend mercy to others who have hurt us, who have defrauded us, who have treated us badly. Because God extended it to us. So how could we withhold it from them? And let me tell you something about extending mercy. Don't do it grudgingly. <laughs> Did you ever have someone extend mercy to you, but they read you the riot act before they gave it? Or they told you all the strings that were attached to it. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to be merciful. I'm not going to fire you. I'm not going to report you. I'm not going to charge you. But, you see, for the Christian, we can't extend mercy with strings attached. Because God didn't. Salvation is a free gift that's unearned. There are no strings attached. We receive it by faith. Listen to me. We can't extend mercy with strings attached. We can't do it grudgingly, but we can learn to do it cheerfully. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we see his amazing grace in our own lives, and the more freely we'll be able to extend it to those who need it from us. When people wrong us, when people hurt us, when people attack us, misjudge us, let us be reflexive in extending not judgment, but mercy. What are the benefits of mercy? We know what it looks like. We know that we're told to love it. But we need to know what the benefits are. As with anything that we do, God rewards us when we are obedient. When we are obedient to love mercy, there are rewards attached to it. Now, the first benefit, the first reward that's attached to mercy is this. It's the Matthew 5-7 policy. Remember Matthew 5-7 from the Beatitudes? This is what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The Matthew 5-7 policy is very provocative. Jesus, uh, throughout the New Testament and even in Paul's writings, we were shown that if we didn't forgive, we couldn't be forgiven. If we wouldn't extend mercy, we wouldn't get any mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? Such a provocative statement. They are blessed because when they extend mercy, they will receive mercy. When we extend forgiveness, we receive mercy forgiveness. Remember what the word says that if we won't forgive our brother of his sins against us, God won't forgive us. Wow. No horns. It's quiet. And it's a good moment to think about the Matthew 5, 7 policy. Are we blessed today? Do we extend mercy so that we can receive it? All of us get a reminder today that each of us have a mercy account in heaven. It works exactly like a bank account. It works on a system of deposits and withdrawals. When we deposit mercy in the account, we're blessed. Why? Because then when we need to withdraw mercy, it's there for us. Are you getting this this morning? So I want to ask you today, what's the balance on your mercy account? I hope it's not empty. I hope it's not overdrawn. I hope not we're, we're not uh, relying on overdraft protection, more grace. But I hope that our mercy account is full today. And I want to encourage you. The benefit of mercy is if we sow it, we'll reap it. And God is gracious. Show mercy. Sow mercy. Love mercy. And load up your mercy account because someday you'll need to make a withdrawal from it. And blessed is he who has mercy to withdraw. Amen.
I don't know about you today, but I don't want to stand before God without any mercy in my account. Because I need his mercy. The second benefit of mercy is this, and there are three today. I'm closing down with this. The second benefit of mercy is being merciful aligns us with our heavenly father. Look what Luke 6.36, Luke 6.36 says this. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. We know God's merciful. We're here because of his mercy. But this text here is telling us to be merciful. So it's a choice. It's something that we have to choose. We choose it and we love it and we become it. And then we begin to look like our father that's in heaven. You know, it's Father's Day today. And the greatest thing for a father to look is to see himself reproduced in his children, to see his sons, to see his children, his daughters, and see uh, the things that God put in him reproduced that will live on for another generation. When we are like our heavenly father, it makes him blessed and happy to see his children exhibit his attributes. When we're merciful, we're acting like our God in heaven because he is merciful. Listen to Psalm 145, 8 through 9. The psalmist captures the beauty of God's mercy. He says this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good and his tender mercies are over all his works. Look what it says. He's gracious and full of compassion. Let that be true of us. Too many of us are judgmental and have sharp tongues and are quick to return evil for evil. Too many of us are incited and, and we don't speak words of kindness and mercy. Too many of us act more like the devil than our father who's in heaven. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Ouch! You say, Pastor, but those were the Pharisees. Those were religious people. Well, we are Christians, and we can easily become religious. So let us be merciful and not judgmental. Gracious, full of compassion. Look what it says about the Lord here in Psalm 145. He's slow to anger. This is what loving mercy is, that we don't just explode, that we don't just fly off the handle, but that we're slow to anger and that we're of great mercy. The Lord is good and his tender mercies are over all his works. I encourage you to take Psalm 145 verses 8 through 9, to meditate on it, to commit it to memory, and to allow the truth of it to permeate your soul so that we too could be like our heavenly father. We could be gracious full of compassion, slow to anger, tender in our mercies, good to everyone, not returning evil for evil, but loving our enemies as Christ did and instructed us. Number three, amen. The third benefit, and I'm going to close with this, the third benefit of mercy is this. It lets us be compassionate just like Jesus was. Verse uh, Matthew 14, 14 says this, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So here's Jesus showing up on the scene and he's ministering and he's in the, he's in the natural body. So, you know, he's tired and there's stress on him. He gets out of the boat. He sees a large crowd and his first reaction is not, oh, my goodness, look at the size of this crowd. This is going to take forever. His first reaction is he looks at them and he looks and he has compassion on them. And that was Jesus always having compassion, always showing mercy. Listen to Matthew 20, 34. Jesus had compassion on them 
and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Jesus ministering to blind people. What did he do? He said, well, you know, the sick will always be with you. No, he said, ah, they probably sinned. No, they deserve it. You know, they were never good people. They came from bad roots. No, he had compassion on them. He touched them, and he opened their eyes. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd again, he had compassion on them. And and listen to what... What's added here in Mark 6, they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Jesus saw people's weakness, Jesus saw people's lostness, and Jesus had compassion, and he ministered to them, and he he showed them truth, and he opened their eyes, and he still does. Could you imagine Jesus today without compassion? Can you imagine a Jesus today without grace? Can you imagine Jesus today without mercy? Me neither. It wouldn't be Jesus without those things. That's because that's who he is. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's gracious. That's why when a person claims to be a Christian, when you say I'm a Christian, what that word Christian means is little Christ. It means that you are the image of Jesus. You are like him. The Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image of Christ from the old man and the old nature to a new image. So when we say that we're Christians and we don't have compassion, when we say that we're Christians and we don't show mercy, we need to take a look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Paul said this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. You see, if we are in the faith, if we are in Christ, we're going to be compassionate. We're going to have compassion on the lost. We're going to be genuinely excited to see God extend mercy to those who need it. We are going to be gracious people. I pray this morning that this message from Micah has challenged each one of us not only to do justice, but to love mercy. What the world needs is not more judges. What the world needs is not more executioners. What the world needs is not more people who stand there and wag their tongues and their fingers and say, I told you so. What the world needs is people who are merciful like God is merciful. What the world needs are Christians who are compassionate and who are excited to extend mercy to others and see the grace of God pour mercy out on the lost. Let's bow our heads today. Father in heaven, I thank you. This Father's Day, we revel in the fact that we have a heavenly Father that is unmatched. You are the standard of fatherhood, and Father, none of us come close to you. So we bless you today, Father, and we pray today as you teach us to do justice, that you would also teach us to love mercy, that our first reflex would be mercy, that if our hearts are judgmental and hard and harsh, and we don't rejoice when mercy is poured out, Father, we ask that you would change our hearts and that we would be a merciful, gracious people that look like Jesus, that look like our heavenly Father, that look like the church that Jesus left in the earth. I pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Give him praise this morning.